All right, everybody, welcome to a special edition of Brazil Crypto Report. We're coming to you from ETH Denver, uh, which is one of the most important conferences in Ethereum and in crypto more generally. It's one of the agenda setting conferences for the year. So we're really excited to be here, really excited to have a good Brazil representation. Uh, so my name is Aaron Stanley. I'm the founder of Brazil Crypto Report, and we've got a nice roundtable of some crackies here from Brazil who've made the trip. Uh, so we have Thiago from Pansy. We have Bruno from Cartesi, and we have Joan from Fuse Capital. Uh, so we'll do a quick round of intros here, and then we're going to dive into uh, just what's going on this week and what we're watching. Uh, Thiago, let's kick it over to you to start. Yeah, my name is Thiago. Uh, I'm VP of Growth of Mondance Labs, which is a dev code behind Tensi. Uh, Tensi is an app chain for structure protocol, and our main product is Adapt. Uh, on which you connect your wallet, you give some parameters, um, you know, is it going to be a EVM app chain? Is it going to be a substrate app chain or even a custom template you can deploy as well? And um, you get these parameters, you set the name of your token, the amount of decimals, the gas fee policy and some stuff like that. Uh, and then it's pretty much like a software installing wizard. So uh, you give these parameters, uh, it's a codeless solution, you click, click and boom, we set up a call. Uh, um, we set up a, a chain, spin up a chain, running, producing blocks, already integrate with the integrations to RPC endpoints, uh, block explorers, indexers, all this tooling already built in. Um, and yeah, the, we just launched our testnet a few months ago. We're seeing a lot of traction. Um, and it's been exciting times. Very cool, very cool. Uh, and uh, Bruno, let's go over to you. Uh, why don't you tell us about Cartesi? Of course, hi, my name is Bruno. Um, ecosystem growth lead of Cartesi. Uh, Cartesi is a modular execution layer um, built on a architecture that is also an app chain, which is an application specific rollup. It also requires convenience to be launched. So nowadays you can easily build, test, and launch your, your own application using any programming language that you want, with libraries, etc. Because our virtual machine basically is a risk five basically virtual machine that puts an entire Linux OS. We have um, we we expand a lot the expressiveness of what you can do in smart contracts. You are free from from limitations on code choice and as, as well in libraries. So you have the whole OS for, for play with and and using that you can deploy your application on top of EVM networks, mainly on the Ethereum ecosystem. And we are expanding, of course, since Cartes is naturally born for modularity. We're expanding that, integrating with other protocols. That will be flexibility on features and capabilities for infrastructure for developers. And uh, all of that, of course, you can, you can deploy with a few clicks of a button uh, using the Sunodo, right? Uh, convenience layer, which nowadays runs a Cartesian CLI common and clicks on the, on the web browser. So we are very excited to be here. I think um, an excellent event so far, and I'm really looking forward to have a chat with you guys. So, Joao, let's kick it over to you. Yeah, thanks for having me again, Aaron. Uh, it's always a, a pleasure. So, I'm, I'm Joao. I'm one of the founders of Fuse Capital. We are one of the main VCs investing in the Web3 space uh, down in LATAM. Um, and I'm also heading uh, BRX, which is our initiative to create you know, in-house protocols to manage uh, this new ecosystem that's being created around tokenized assets. So we are exploring the, the software layer where we create uh, the software and the applications where you can use these tokenized assets, um, interacting with the real world assets that are behind them. So 
that's something that we're really excited about and it's uh it's it's something that we've been working really hard during the last year to to have these protocols out um we're deploying this as a private app chain in tansy so nice partnership here with tiago and uh yeah rwa is what what we've been digging a little bit deeper in and talking a lot about here in, in ethan so very cool very cool uh and lejoan i think the last time you came on my podcast here, last time I interviewed you was, I think you were actually at ETH Denver last year uh, or right around that time last year. And hoping you could maybe give us some context just around like, you know, maybe what were your big takeaways from that event? And maybe what did you see uh, kind of throughout the rest? How, how did like that ETH Denver set the agenda for the rest of the year as far as, you know, maybe like new connections or new ideas or, or just new, um, you know, how did that kind of like guide your thinking and your your, your investment theses over, the, over the, the remainder of the year? Yeah, so last year was my first East Denver. So it was like a brand new experience. And, and this event is an experience, right? Um, I think it's it's interesting for everyone to come here and understand the atmosphere. Um, something that was really hot last year and developed along the year was uh, the kind of the ZK part of, uh, of the ecosystem. I think most of the, the events that we had was very technical on the ZK sync part. Um, and uh, this year, it's weird because you can feel kind of a tangible excitement in the air. Everyone is more, you know, bullish. I, you know, it's been happening in the market, so uh, it's understandable. And we've seen a lot of uh, events around, you know, like modular blockchains. Um, Deepin has been a subject that's been really in, in hype. And RWAs, I think uh, with the past year and the development of uh, tokenized treasury and the increase in TVL tokenized treasury, um, people have really started paying attention to RWAs. And for us as Brazilians and with what's been happening in Brazil with the central bank, right, with uh, Drax and right, the, the biggest RWA you can tokenize, um, it's really exciting to see like uh, this convergence uh, between, you know, mindsets of uh, people abroad and of what we've been doing in Brazil. And, and, and the, just to wrap it up, like the talks that we've been having with people here is people are still not aware of this opportunity that the timing is presenting in Brazil. Like we're in a very special place in time where trillion dollar industries will be disrupted by this technology. And people are still not taking full advantage of that, right? So uh, this is, has been kind of my, my, my takeaway. It's been still a short time, but uh, I think that's the direction that we're, we're feeling this year. Cool, cool. Uh, and then Bruno, let's go over to you. Why don't you tell us about your uh, previous ETH Denver experiences uh, and, um, you know, what have you maybe learned from those that you've, you've carried over into, into this year? That's funny. It's actually my first ETH Denver. Oh, uh, yeah. Baptism by new. fire. <laughs> and I totally agree with Joao. Um, it's, it's, an, uh, it's an event that is a must attend. You must feel the atmosphere and, and everything that is around. And I totally resonate with John as well on the, in this moment that we are in the market, I would say that we are finally planting the seeds on the infrastructure point of view to really allow disruptive use case to come on board. Right? We, are, we are unlocking constraints that you, you have in blockchain, computational capacity, data storage capacity, costs of transactions, all of that is coming, I would say, being addressed by modularity in some, some aspects and amazing use case will come together, right? Um, RWA is an amazing use case. And what I'm most bullish on that one is people don't realize yet that you are adding a layer of programmability 
on assets that in general are sitting on desks and having very limited, I would say, value squeeze from that. You can add layers and layers of programmability on that, interconnect different products in a ways that we, we weren't capable to do before. And moreover, with this disruptive technology, you allowed mid size and lower lower size players to come in and play in the markets that used to be exclusive from, from big players, right? Uh, and that is where I would say Brazil is, is sitting in a very prominent position with with the leadership of the Bassein and the CVM taking step forward, not only with the CDBC, but also with the old regulation that we are allowing to play with the sandbox, etc. So it definitely a lot of things will happen. And and in the ETH dev itself, modularity is something that I'm hearing quite often. Although uh, I was talking with Thiago today early in the morning that modularity is easier said than done, right? To build protocols that are interconnect and, and still keep the same secure guarantees that is so important in blockchain, it, it's a task, it's a hard task, right? It requires a lot of tough engineering, a tough process and, and and this industry started to, to go through this process. And in point of view of Cartesi, since our modular execution, our VM has this capability to unlock a whole operation system, operational system for programming, it brings a much easier path for these 25 millions of developers on the mainstream to go and start developing things on Web3, right? And, and we're super excited to see that happening because with more developers, with less constraints on computation and, and, and data storage, new use case will be unlocked, like AI, Pin, uh, gaming, and cross product like intelligent DeFi. And, and those builders will come and each 10,000 builders you get, you get a million users, as Thiago mentioned earlier in the morning. So I'm, I'm thinking we're planning the seeds to, to start envision mass adoption of blockchain. Right? We're still not there yet, but uh, I'm very bullish on it. And one of the things I, I like about coming to East Denver is, um, even though I'm, I'm not really a technical person and a lot of these terms, um, like I know what they mean, but I don't actually know what they mean, right? Uh, because I've never built one of them or you know, used one of them before. But I like the fact that it, it draws in such like a highly like technical, like builder focused audience. Um, and it, this isn't like your crypto tourist conference, right? Like I was coming here on the in my Uber and like, you know, and of course, like the Uber driver, he's had enough crypto people in his car this week where he's like, oh, you must be here for the crypto conference. I'm like, yep. And he starts asking me, you know, like what coins to buy and all this kind of stuff, which I guess is a bullish sign, right? If the Uber drivers are asking you what to invest in. But um, but he was kind of asking like, oh, like what, what, what type of people are going to this? Uh, is this like a good place like I could go and like learn about blockchain or whatever? And I was like, well, you don't really know the basics. Like you're going to be pretty lost here. <laughs> Right. Like this is definitely like not your like beginners conference. So, um, but maybe Chago, uh, would love to get your sort of, you know, East Denver history here and maybe talk about like, what's the value that you find from coming to this every year? Sure. 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 Yeah. That's actually my second edition. Uh, last year I was here with Joao. Uh, the, by that time, Tennessee was not, didn't exist yet. So, uh, I had other focuses. So I was working with stable coins and, and, and uh, with the payment rails and everything. So I had another focus right now. I think uh, I having this whole new opportunity to be more closer to the devs. Uh, yesterday I gave a panel, super interesting panel about, um, it's a mini summit actually, a Polkadot mini summit. And we invited many uh, new projects in Polkadot to the pitch, like a 15 minute speech. 
So it was super cool to be closer to the devs community this year um, and also participate uh, more acti actively in the build building week. So that's what, that was the main difference between last year and this year. And what's super exciting is very energizing, right? To, to talk to devs and, and go to the ground and like talk to people who are actually building stuff and super cool stuff. And yeah, but that, that's that's the main main difference. But I'd say like, that's definitely like a must must go event. I mean, uh, probably as you guys already said, it's like a whole experience, not just an event, right? So uh, it's crazy how uh, this, this town, which is, I don't know, is uh, maybe not a super touristic town, right? But uh, um it attracts a whole whole horde of like diverse projects people from all around the world building a lot of crazy stuff a lot of interesting stuff and um yeah it, it's just super cool because i mean it, it's not it, it's very cold right so you have to go inside and you have to chat to people and uh, you eventually we i was uh, having breakfast today with bruno and we were supposed to have a meeting or, or talk you know but uh, when we came into the cafe, uh, a girl approached us and started to, to talk about what she's building. And then we, we sat finally uh, to have our coffee. And the guys in the in the table uh, right right uh, near to us started talking to us about the conference. So it's really you know you really uh, you are really deep in the in the the subject, right? So in, in blockchain, all the discussions, we were actually discussing modularity with these guys, right? So it's, it's super interesting how it just flows, you know, the whole the whole conference, this this week, week that we are here is just, just passes, just flies, and uh, it's just natural, you know? So it's, a, it's definitely a very interesting experience. The, the sensation that I have that the whole city is immersed yeah. to the top exactly. of blockchain, right? And, and, and in your in your direction i feel here that you have a complete ecosystem and that where you feel that the relevance of this, of this conference because you have a massive presence of of builders you have a lot of protocols and discussions among protocols you have the ecosystem around with marketing agencies enablers market makers vcs builders entrepreneurs so everyone in this melting pot which is which is super interesting to be that's why i think it's so important to be in, in that specific conference. And, and of course, with the marketing, the market picking up, I, I would say that a conference will become more and more interesting that way. Yeah, I was about to say that. Uh, last year, it was like a bad smell in the air. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, uh, yeah, the, this year, I'm, I'm ready to have more. You, you know what I, what I feel being here is like, it, when we're in, in Brazil, in Rio, uh, when can you talk to anyone on the street about crypto, about what you're doing? And here you can just walk around and anywhere you sit, people are just talking about and understand what you're talking about. Yeah. So you just ask, what, what are you building? And that's it. <laughs> that's it. Start a conversation. I, I just hope that the Uber guy asking for, for recommendations, not a top signal, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> too early, too early for that, guys. <laughs> but you do have, I mean, now that we are, I, I guess I was, I was the last couple of weeks, I've been skeptical that we're actually going into a bull market, you know, kind of cautiously optimistic about it. But now it appears, okay, we're, we've, we're officially back again, um, but it, it does it does feel like we've got this. We've got two sides of the coin now. We've got like the folks who are really focused on like building stuff and like the real kind of tech focused people, the builder focused people, heads down like let's just build stuff and ship stuff. But then you're also starting to get, like mo I had more conversations yesterday about airdrop farming than I did about like any like new you know actual like product advances that might you know benefit the industry or benefit the world or anything. Uh, and it was more, the conversations were more around like, oh, what airdrops are you farming? Or like, oh, did, oh, did you get the Jupiter airdrop? Or like, did you get the, you know, and of, and of course, like I'm, 
really, I don't want to say I'm bad at airdrop farming, but maybe I just don't have the, um, you know, the dedication and the discipline to do it properly. Uh, cause it's more difficult than it was back in the day when you just click Uniswap once and then you get airdrop tokens. You have to, you know, do all these things to, to qualify. Um, but it does feel like you are getting like the, the greed spirits are coming back out again, you know? Um, and I've, I've, I've just felt that very palpably since I arrived here yesterday. Um, and, um, I guess I don't really have a question, uh, pertaining to that, but like, we just love kind of, you know, how do you, how are you guys like approaching that balance of like the building stuff versus the, Hey, like this is our chance to get rich again. I think this is the best stage because people last year were kind of, you're kind of depressed because it's like a, two years of a bear market, three years, but you have that feeling of like being together. We're here together in the, you know, not, not a very good place, but in this stage where we're now, people are starting to get out of that and being optimistic, right? And we're not st still not seeing the excesses, right? Uh, I think that's a sign of a little bit of excess because, you know, airdrop farming is <laughs> it's just weird. But um, we're starting to people to people to see uh, the possibilities of, uh, of like the potential of things that were built during the period where no one was believing in crypto anymore. Crypto was dead and um, and people are optimistic. So um, I think this is the best stage because for sure, you know, like everything in, in, in economic cycles, you go through excesses and uh, we were in the excess of the, the bear market and we're going to go again into an excess of, of bull market. That's the only certainty that that everyone has. And uh, that's where we start seeing, you know, these more crypto tourists, uh, people, you know, really flashing. We see the Lamborghinis and everything like that. And that's not really what what I like to see, right? I like to see like these these people building um, things starting to work out. Institutional interest is something that's palpable also, again, a lot because of the, the ETF. So this stage that we are in now in, here in, in Denver is uh, like, for me, the best stage that we are. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, resonating with that, I, I would say that um, the bear market is is funny to say that it's the best time for you to keep focus and build, right? Because you don't have the noise of the bull, the bull run. Uh, people are actually over there building. You have much more meaningful connections. You have serious discussions about how to move forward. It's a great time to build, right? So it's um. On the market cycles, it's very important that projects can survive through bear market because they can build properly, right? And in the bull market, it comes this deficit of attention, this noise, this, this formal, it starts getting difficult to get attention of people because each second you have a new stuff coming and this is the hottest thing that is, is happening. And from the builder's point of sight, what we are still doing is keep focusing our vision, our mission and start building meaningful connections. And go through and, and what I see on airdrop angle, I think airdrop is an amazing tool of of adoption if it's well used. Uh, I don't see nowadays that being used, I would say, magically well because of most of the protocols they they don't have a product that offers 10x difference from the others. So you 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 use airdrop just to convince the guy from come from A to B, but when airdrop goes away, he goes to be from it to A, right? And and that is where I think um, good products with good product market fits with uh, people that really understand the, the audience and the target audience, they can do properly airdrop in and, and capture value from that, right? Aside of that, there's this noise that comes, new people coming, excited with the, with the ecosystem and airdroppers 
and new buildings, new buildings, and they will always be here and 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 trying to capture whatever they, they can, right? And it's fun though, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it does it does generate interest in your, yeah. you know, I, I guess you know I, I'm sympathetic to the critiques of airdrops, but like it does have the impact of getting people to use your yeah. stuff, right? Yeah. Exactly. So if I can add on that, like yeah. as a builder, like that, it's about to go to mainnet in a few months, like. We are reading the situation, right? So we, we announced recently in Tansy the incentivized testnet campaign. And uh, we, we're probably going to have a, a point system at some point. Um, this might lead to a potential airdrop in the future. So just to, to give another angle in this discussion, like when you're about to go to mainnet, you have to figure out how to distribute your tokens, right? And you want to have the longest tail as possible. Because you want to put your tokens on the hands of you know, as many people as possible. So, uh, yeah, and, and actually airdrops are the way people do that these days, right? We used to have the token sales. It's it's cool. I mean, you can have a lower ticket and, you know, access a, a bunch of new, new users, new, new people, new, you know, token holders. But then uh, the airdrop, like the opposite, like you just, you, you don't receive anything uh, in return, right? So you just receive people's attention, people's effort and time. So, but you, the users, they don't put money on that. So that's the best way possible to, you know, spread as much as you can the tokens, right? So yeah, we, we are, we are uh, of course, considering that all, all the new, new projects that are like following this, this model. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just to offer another angle, like it's just, uh, it might be a super interesting strategy, right? For distributing the tokens. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and airdrop is, is uh, but, sorry. No, no, but I was going to say like, because if you take it through the Web2 perspective, and then you look at through the VC perspective, uh, like 50% of VC money used to go to Facebook and Google just to get users, right? Yeah. So this is the alternative where you bypass these big tech companies and interact directly with the user to, to get them. And, and at the end of the day, you're paying per user, right? You have a cost of acquisition per user. So this is the cost of acquisition per user, but you're paying with a different exactly. What I'm bringing here is the how to use better this tool. Because it's an easy tool which connects protocols directly with the users, right? And how to use that. And of course, it's used to gather the attention for the person to taste your protocol product and see if there is a fit on here. If it's a fit, the person will stay. But the magic is, and this efficiency on that is, how to properly understand your community, what, how properly understand your, I would say, archetype of users and how to properly use in this amazing right. tool in a way not only spread a long tail with people that just get in the airdrop and moving. Of course, the worst thing could happen is like you make the airdrop and then the yeah, guys just come back capital. and dump. Yeah, yeah. Mercenary capital. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How to avoid that, yeah. right? Because it's a, it's, a, it's a waste of a, a waste of capital. Right? We, we, we managed to go for a more efficient system where you cut off some middlemen and you connect directly protocols with end users. And this is a very nice and frictionless tool to to communicate value and get attention. So, how we can properly benefit from this strategy on getting that on the, on the right hands of the people that will stay, build, and, and contribute with the ecosystem. Yeah, just just another, another two cents on that. Like, uh, just to be fair, see, I arrived last last weekend, and uh, I haven't been talking much about airdrops yet. Right. I don't know if right now in the in the main conference this is going to be a, a hottest topic, but in the building arena, like no one asked me about that. So just to be fair, this is, this is great. This, this yeah. is okay. great. Maybe, maybe we, we hang out. We roll with different crowds, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I hang out with the the shitcoin farmers. You hang out with serious people that build real stuff, right? But uh, well, 
I, I think we probably riff on like the airdrop thing for a while if we wanted to, but I, I want to introduce a couple more themes here. Um, just a couple of things that have just keep come up in our conversation so far. Um, I think they're one of the interesting things about ETH Denver is like it is an, obviously an ETH event, but they are very inclusive of like other chains. So like we're looking right across at Solana. They have a booth right across from where we're we're, we're recording here. Like Near has a booth. Like uh, you know Polkadot is obviously here. Like there's kind of everybody kind of comes right, and there you you, you kind of see this this sort of you know this EVM versus non EVM world. You know the modular versus monolithic sort of tension, or if you want to call it that, maybe it's not the right word, but sort of these this, these different this differentiation. Um, you know, sort of in real in in in, in real life here, and everybody is kind of competing for the same developers or competing for the same builders. Um, everybody's got a slightly different value proposition. Some are more aligned with like the core ethos of Ethereum than others. Um, but uh, maybe just you know, would love to get your thoughts on how you're how you guys are approaching this uh, th- this sort of modular versus monolithic, you know, EVM versus non EVM differentiation uh, so far this week. Yeah, so like, uh, as I mentioned, like this has been like a hot topic. Um, I think it's very technical, right? Uh, in the end of the day. So what, what we're seeing is that the, the single purpose uh, blockchains are something that's been very, very interesting, like in very good conversation, especially when we hang out with the Tensi crew, right? So, um, but uh, with, with Ethereum, you know, catching up again and like uh, the price going up and activity going up, we're going to go back to that model where, you know, in the bull market where it's totally unfeasible to do any transaction, you know, like uh, unless it's batched in Ethereum. So with that, uh, these these concepts of modular back blockchains, they start to be more, more relevant, right? So um, uh, what we believe is that uh, with this approach, you're going to unlock new use cases that are not feasible through the monolithic approach. And uh, by that, you're also going to have kind of siloed use cases. And then you, you start to have the need for interconnectivity between these chains, which is something that's uh, a solution that we, we've seen some solutions, but I think they're still very early stage, right? So you see that if, if we go in this direction of the modular blockchain and in the direction of you know creating uh, application-specific chains, um, there, there comes up the need of, of having these efficient communications um, in a non-centralized way, right? Because uh, what we see today is a very centralized structures for communicating between blockchains and that increases the, the security risk for, for the entire protocol. What I think Bruno touched on that. So I, I think, again, this, this is very technical. Um, in the end of the day, when we are here in the builder conference and everyone's just like hands down building and, and very technical, it's relevant. But when we talk about the final user and how we see this user interacting with blockchain technology, it should be relevant. It should be totally relevant because uh, for, for this to be mainstream and for this to, to go to the masses, people can have the complexity of choosing a, a network, connecting, signing transactions, all of that. So um, when we talk about the end user who's actually going to use these products, um, they're not going to care if it's a modular blockchain. Um, in the end, they're going to have lower fees and, and better cost structure and things like that. But they're just going to be interacting with the product. And in the back end, people are going to be solving these complex problems and, and dealing with the complexity, right? So I, I, I think, again, when we're in this type of conference and it's relevant and people are really on the technical side, it's relevant. But in the end of the day, for the user, which matters, it doesn't matter. Right? I, I couldn't resonate with, with you as well. Um, I would say that that shows how far we are from mainstream adoption, right? We are still discussing how the kitchen is assembled rather than how that being used. And I would extend that. It's not only for the fire user, but uh, 
builders are still trying to sell their product about the technology they're using, not about the product and product market fit. Um, it should be completely transparent for the very end user. But even developers, developers, they, they should be concerned only with the technical requirements needed for their application or their use case. If it's a low latency that they need, or massive storage, and, and, and infrastructures, they must abstract away complexities from builders to deliver to them only the, the, the protocol stack that fits with the requirement and that's it. So everyone has mobile phones here. When we do a call, you're not concerned on how the phone handshake with the network, what is the configuration of the data flow, if it's a voice call, if it's an email that you receive. That's why we have mass adoption of mobile phones. If we have to get involved in that process, we wouldn't have mass adoption of mobile phones. I can guarantee you. And, um, and that's what, for example, protocols like Cartesi with the modular stack, and I fully agree with Joao, that is very difficult for a monolith infrastructure gives the plasticity that each use cases requires in terms of requirements. So the modular comes on you, adapt conditions and requirements to deliver the right set to build it, right? So, uh, but that modularity needs to be abstract away. So one thing that for me will pick up from here is convenience on building. How it's easy for developers to use a protocol stack to build their product. Okay? And, and talking what you said about we are disputing um, the same amount of, of developers, I think also we as a collective should be concentrating on how we grow the pie. Cartes okay? um, is trying to contribute on that because since we have this risk five that boots an entire Linux, any program language is welcome to develop smart contracts. So you can tackle the Python group, which is a 12 million developers ecosystem. You can get the Java guys, C++, Rust, JavaScript, TypeScript, Go, you name it, right? And not only that, you can use the libraries. So you can use Python with an image recognition library. Or what girl in a, in a hackathon, she just put an entire alpaca LLM inside our virtual machine and create a verifiable chat GPT. So that is where I think convenience and how to grow the pie and abstract and away complexities it is the next step for us to, to really start thinking on mass adoption, to really start thinking products that has really utilities for the end users, right? So far, what we could find is only defined stable points. To move ahead from that and unlocking those limitations. Yeah, what I used to say about this discussion is that like no one watches Netflix because they use, I don't know, AWS or GCP, right? It, you just want to watch your TV show, your film, and that's it. You don't don't choose your broadcaster for their tech stack, right? But back to the modularity thing. So definitely modularity is a, one of the hottest topics here, this event. So I've been to a, a side event promoted by Aveo, uh, the, creating a super cool DA layer. Cartesi uh, guys also have naturally a modular architecture. They hosted also an event with Espresso team. Um, yesterday we had the modular day. So it's it's definitely like a, a very hot topic. And um, yeah, I mean, relating that to Tansy, right? So Tansy, uh, it's it's by definition also a, a modular ecosystem. Right? So Polkadot in general is a modular ecosystem. You have the consensus layer and uh, the sediment layer that's provided with Polkadot, the, the layer zero, let's say, the relay chain of Polkadot. Um, and then, yeah, like we have uh, uh, projects like Tansy, we are 
if you think if you want to make a parallel to to a Turing ecosystem, we can say that Tensi is a decentralized sequencer set. Right? In Polkadot, it happens that it has a special name, it's, which is Collators. But essentially, what I mean, names apart, what it does is a, is a decentralized and a shared way to uh, in, a, in a way to share resources for producing blocks on behalf of the blockchains. Right? Uh, and that's essentially modularity. Right? So, um, yeah, so it's been a, a very interesting topic. Uh, a lot of people are discussing about that, uh, not even the, not only in the events, but also in fireside chats and, and you know, uh, during lunch. So definitely, definitely a hot, hot topic, modularity. And then, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to change the subject slightly. If you wanted to... No, just finalizing that reinforcing what Joan said and, and this modularity will bring a lot of challenges on the interconnectivity, right? And, and we need to get a step back on that because to manage expectations, right? When you have a monolithic infrastructure where every application is in the same, I would say, block, in the same bus, it's very difficult for a modular stack to reach the same level of composability of that monolithic, right? It's the only trade-off that you're gonna have on, on modularity. You can get close to it, but not the same. But then is the question, what are the use cases that will require these deep levels of composability? Maybe financial ones. But moving away from that, I would say that uh, composability in that level might be not a strict requirement. And the gains that you will have with the modular stack on computational gains, on data storage, and other aspects will, I would say, overcome this trade-off that you have on, on composability. Yeah, one discussion that we were, just to add a little bit on top of that, one discussion that we were having uh, in, the, in the breakfast today with the guys is like, okay, the, wh why we start all this modularity conversation, right? Probably to reduce costs, right? Um, so that's how the DA layers came to be, right? To offer a, a, an alternative to, to the Ethereum data availability system and uh, trying to save costs, right? But one, one thing that we were, we, were, we were discussing about is like, Okay, but what happens if, okay, I want to use the, the Ethereum settlement layer and then, uh, I don't know, any DA layer, right? What happens if, if that goes down? So that means that I need to have two uh, DA layers, uh, well, like one as a backup, the other. Um, so having two DA layers, uh, is it still uh, more uh, more uh, uh, cheap to build, right? So I think at some point, it, it's a, I would say it's a, yeah, it's, it's a new subject-ish, right? So at some point, we're going to find a middle ground uh, where it all balances and, and combines together. But uh, yeah, it's definitely super interesting to see all these experimentations around modularity. It's super, super cool. And I wanted to move on to another theme that we've been hearing a lot about, uh, which is this uh, idea of decentralized physical infrastructure or DPIN, as it's now being called. And um, on one hand, when I, I guess... On one hand, this isn't really like a new concept, right? It's just crypto people are very good at like just taking ideas that have been around for a while and just putting a new narrative on it and making it sound like it's something new, right? Uh, but I think I think with the emergence of AI and, and, and just some of the needs that or some of the, the limitations that we've seen in some, you know, current AI systems and some of the, the needs, we, it's a little bit easier for us to foresee the needs uh, in the future of like, okay, why would we need sort of a decentralized infrastructure um, you know, across some of these various services, whether it be data storage or compute or, uh, or, or just even like broadband, Wi-Fi connection, whatever it might be. Um, so there's definitely been quite a bit of uh, talk about that recently. And I'm assuming, or I think there was already like a D-Pin day side event that happened, probably like half a dozen of them, actually. Uh, and I know there's a lot of talks here at the main event about this as well, but 
Um, would love to kind of hear, like, I mean, Joel, I know you guys invested in Helium. You guys have been pretty bullish on that since kind of the early days there. Um, maybe we'll, we'll kick this one to you first, but um, I mean, how are you reading this? Is this, is this like, is there like a real movement here? Is there a real there there, so to speak? Or is this maybe crypto people kind of just putting a new name on something, a new spin on something? Yeah, I think this uh, like deep in for sure is a new name. People, like crypto people like to, to create these acronyms, right? Uh, for things that already exist, with, which are great, but uh, there is usually like a parallel in the real world. But if you think about it, like uh, even the original crypto Bitcoin is almost a, like a deep in, right? Cause yeah, well, that was my argument when I, I was like, well, how is it like, isn't Bitcoin like, exactly fits all the criteria it's what all the we, criteria. Would, we would now consider to be deep in what, 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 what was solved by, by Bitcoin very efficiently and is what people are seeing, what Helium saw and why it was super successful in the beginning is they solved the problem of the cold start for a large CapEx investment, right? So if you have a project that needs a large capital investment, um, either you're going to go to like public markets to raise that capital or you're going to go through, you know, sharing this infrastructure with other people, creating tokens on top of it. And then you have a, a deep in infrastructure like you have in Helium and, and things like that. But it's not a new concept. It's, it's nothing new. Um, what I think it was coined as deep in and is because crypto, the crypto space have, has been trying to find the narrative around AI. And that narrative it has gone uh, from the data side when, when you know, AI was, was not LLM based. So like monetization of like private data silos, which was super interesting. So how do you track that data? How do you monetize it? How do you sell that data, right? Um, and a crypto layer on top of that is super interesting. But with the LLM kind of model being, you know, the winning model, people went to the infrastructure side. And then they coined deep in and, uh, and then you have it uh, that way, right? But uh, like we believe in the model um, infused, right? As you mentioned, we, we are big believers on, on in Helium, um, what they're doing, what they did for Laura, which is like a really small protocol where they just went crazy on it with the network and what they're doing now with 5G. So I don't know how much you guys know. I know Bruno is uh, the expert in telco, but uh, in 5G, is, it's basically for Brazilian telcos, it's really hard to invest in the infrastructure because they need such a, a wide array of like uh, transmitters. That's a huge capex. So how do you solve that? Um, you can turn to this cold start solving model where you have rewards and you have, you know, incentives for people to grow the network with you. And uh, and that's where I think there is a, a real case for for Deepin I, I, to be extremely extremely honest uh, I, I haven't gone into the AI use case for deep in I imagine what it is like having having you know decentralized data centers but but I think all of these these use cases that crypto creates and the narratives like they're always very technical and what we like to do is like take the the, the practical side of it like what actually does this solve and who's going to use this and then it, it creates a, a like a, a better perspective for you to look at it right because everyone here is in love with the technology and developing new things. But in the end of the day, people need to use it and need to pay for it. So that's kind of our view on it. Just adding to Jean, just for a broader concept on, uh, on 5G. That's also a, a beautiful story and why it's important to develop developing open standards, interconnectivity, allowing an open connectivity. So in 5G nowadays, a vendor must have opening interfaces to allow other vendors to interconnect. So you remove this barrier 
of that you have in the old telecom systems that if I'm Ericsson, I'm only interconnected with equipment of Ericsson. So that creates a huge barrier for this type of thing. Yeah. Nowadays, you have a, five, a guy that's bringing a new 5G equipment. You manage to get a financial incentives layer to help the funding, the launch of that, that equipment. Then the deployment is, 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 is moved out and, and this allows the smaller players to come into, into that system that used to be only for giants like at and right? And this is a special reality in a country like Brazil that's the size of a continent. I, I recall the times that I was in telecom that one base station used to cost $1 million. So imagine to cover the size of Brazil. It's an imaginable amount of money, it's billions of dollars. So yeah, I totally resonate with Joan and the team and this financial layer, and and that is a nice, a nice way to to do airdrops, incentives yeah. align, to get the proper audience to make your airdrops and composability, right? Exactly. Because the financial layer on top of these assets, it's super interesting. Exactly. What you can develop. Because it allows programmability on that. Exactly. On top of that. And also, it's it's closer to the day-to-day -day lives, right? So I mean, he learns that very good example of that. So decentralizing the way people consume and offer internet, right? And um, yeah, no, I think that like the the subject deep in, I agree with you guys, like crypto people love narratives, love names, and uh, it's it's cool. You love memes as well, it's fine. But um, yeah, what I like when things get closer to the day-to-day -day lives, as I said. So yeah, Intensity have several projects uh, building deep in um, applications, and it's actually super exciting to see. Uh, independently on the terminology thing, uh, the fact is that like we are seeing cool stuff emerging from this, I would say, vertical crypto. Uh, this vertical is kind of uh, going horizontal, I'd say as well, because like uh, a lot of, as you said, Bitcoin, right? It feels the criteria, so why not? But like uh, we we have other stuff that are not really physical but are considered deep. For instance, we have uh, a team in Tansy, They are building an app chain, uh, which is pretty much like an operational system for phones that already enable a lot of Web3 components built in. It's pretty much like you have Sagaphone, Solana, it's, they built the hardware and the software. These guys are only focusing on the software side, um, but like that has a very, very intimate symbiosis, let's say with the, with the hardware, so they kind of classify this dipping. Uh, there's also another cool project uh, that's, that offers decentralized uh, computing power for AI models, for no uh, uh, architecture, uh, uh, you know, rendering, this kind of stuff. So um, yeah, that's also like very, very attached to, to physical world. So these guys are uh, super, uh, super, super interesting project as well. So yeah, I'm ju I just like to see things uh, coming, you know, closer to, to the real world. Yeah, I feel like these, the ones that make most intuitive sense to me, uh, these deep end projects are, uh, I would say these like decentralized compute networks or decentralized GPU networks, because I think like it's kind of obvious right now that, okay, the world is producing ever more data and we're, we're, we're needing more and more compute power to be able to produce all these AI generative AI images and videos that are, that you can just spin up, you know, anybody can just spin these things up on their phone now with like no effort, really there's no barrier to entry here. Um, but there is a finite like cap or a, you know scalability limit on just like you know GPU you know chip manufacturing semiconductor semiconductor manufacturing right so they can't make you know Taiwan can't make more semiconductors just like they can't just flip a switch and start doubling their production capacity right um, whereas like with AI generative AI which we basically I mean I mean how much is it, it's grown in just the last year it's, it's been insane so uh, so 
I think the the question becomes then, okay, if we can't just like you know double our 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 chip production capacity overnight, but how do we go toward like maximizing use of the chips that we already have, which is making sure that things that are chips that are dormant or maybe not being fully utilized are being utilized to maximum efficiency and how do we incentivize people that you know like the guy who's playing video games like when he's not playing his game how can he use his gpu to you know render ai graphics or whatever um and uh my day job i work at filecoin foundation we we kind of have the same issue as well where it's based the basic thesis is just like look like the amount of data that's being produced in the world now is just growing exponentially and there's no way that you know microsoft or google or aws can build data centers fast enough to store all this stuff that's being produced right like you can't just snap your finger and spin up a data center right so um anyway we'd, we'd love to kind of you know as we kind of wrap up the conversation we'd love to get any other thoughts on um i guess one other thought for me and I'll, I'll turn it back to you guys uh i think one thing we've learned with filecoin is that like in order for this stuff to actually work or like to be adopted the like the service really has to be like on par or better than like the existing web 2 alternative right um you know to convince uh you know somebody like hey you should use instead of using you know buying your own sort of uh uh you know warehouse of like nvidia chips you should just use this decentralized network of nvidia gpus that somehow uses tokens and you know you don't really understand how it works but whatever like to get to actually to the point where people are going to be using that and you know using that with confidence in like, you know, enterprise instances where they have clients that they need to deliver services to and things of that nature. Um, you know, it's very, it's, it's, it's a tough proposition, like, especially in the early days. And it's, it's, it's something that every, you know, you know, adopter, early adopter of any new technology is going to, 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 to encounter. Right. But, um, anyway, so just a few thoughts on, on that from my end, but would love to see this back into you guys, turn it over back to you guys. What do you guys, uh, any hot takes on how this stuff actually gets adopted here? I, I think like, when, when you when you say like it needs to be on par or, or a little bit better to, to create adoption like you can't look at time as static right and can't look at the the scenario now as static take a look at what happened with ai like when this boom came all of a sudden all startup pitches have ai all you know even listed companies, meetings and, and notes and reports, everything has AI now. It's the, the mention of AI has gone up like 10x. So uh, in the moment we, in time that we are now and we were during the past you know, like two, three years, I agree with you. Like it needs to be, and I wouldn't agree that it needs to be a little bit better. It needs to be like 10x better for people to take that jump. But <laughs> hopefully, right, uh, once we start getting more mass adoption, once we have a more stabilized market, once we have a more institutional approach to this, I, I tend to, to think that the narrative kind of shifts and people start having an easier you know, case to, to make of using a crypto-backed product or a blockchain-backed product. This is why I think the supply constraints in the semiconductor example is useful because you're getting to the point where you basically have two alternatives. Either A, you just get in the queue at NVIDIA and you wait 18 months for your chips to show up, or you use this like experimental new decentralized GPU network. Exactly. And those are the only two options. So it's like, what do you got to lose with that? Right? It's, it's, it's about democratization, right? Uh, uh, in this specific case, when you have a severe constraint on capacity production, it's, it's not a regular map. There's only four foundries in the world that can produce chipsets. And among them, maybe only one can produce super high-end latest architecture chipsets. You don't have only NVIDIA, 
you forgot about Samsung, you forgot about Qualcomm, you forgot about Apple, those guys that can guarantee they are in front of you in a group. So how you unlock uh, 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 the access to, to regular people, regular science, or even people on this side, for example, right? That, uh, this side is an amazing way to finance uh, medical research that the big farmers, they don't see value in that because they, 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 it's not economically viable, right? Some of these biologies, you need to run simulations on that. And not only AI stuff to train, but run simulations and need high capacity for that. So democratizing access to, to such computation, power of computation is super important for these low bottom end people uh, start ex having access to, 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 such, to such markets, right? And, and I would see that blockchain brings this bottom up approach, right? While AI in certain aspects, it's getting a, a, a centralization of, of, of economic power because you need to have huge capacity, financial capacity to, to have your AI properly trained right now, especially if you're having a sophisticated LLM model with billions of parameters to tune. Um, th there is no service, for example, in South America that can, can handle that. Right? But if you decentralize and, and, and have access to the, all this idle capacity they have in the world and, and a protocol that can handle such asynchronous training, that could be magic. And, and together with that financialization, right, uh, adding a layer of incentives alignments and can even generate byproducts on that through programming, right? especially because that's what, what uh, tokenization and financialization allows, I think would be a fantastic step. And moreover, allowed us to buy video games with an excuse that we are supporting <laughs> the decentralized network. And I do, yeah. So, so I would see if that sticks with Julia. Yeah. No, I would say like more uh, broadly, zooming in out, like uh, it's like uh, blockchain software, right? And software is meant to be, you know, is meant to optimize stuff, you know, make things more efficient or more safe or more, you know, to, to increase the network effect of things. Uh, uh, and I think that for crypto and blockchains are software that's optimized for security, right? But um, what, what I think is like there's such a, wide range of mental models in crypto that can bring other stuff together with the security. And to your point, I agree 100% with you, Aaron. Like, uh, it has to be better in a sense. It has to be more incentives aligned in terms of helium, you said, or it has to be safer. Uh, it has to be permissionless and less constrained. Um, you know, in the case of VR exchange or Kona Finance, cheaper, like comparing to a, a you know, uh, legacy structure. Uh, so, I mean, it has to be better and it, it is being better. It has its, its caveats. It's not, uh, uh, you know, it's a, such a big topic, right? Blockchain is hard to kind of summarize, but uh, yeah, it, I, I couldn't agree more with you. Like it has to be better in a sense, at least one one thing can, should should be like better than it had. had. That's, that's what software is about. Great, great. Um, so we're Winding up our time here, uh, ETH Denver, Brazil Crypto Roundtable. Uh, really appreciate having you guys here, sharing some thoughts, um, and sharing some ideas here. Um, let's maybe just take like 30 seconds and go around around the hall here, around the room, and uh, let's get like any kind of final thoughts or anything uh, that you wanted to share earlier that maybe uh, maybe you missed out on, but uh, this is your final chance. Like maybe, Joao, any final thoughts from you on uh, what's, what's going on here at ETH Denver? I'm just going to go back to the point where like I started in my intro, like... Uh, 
we need to be aware of the point in time we are now, especially in the Brazilian ecosystem. Like people need to understand that this this type of, of opportunity doesn't happen every day. And it's not every day that, you know, trillion dollar industries get disrupted. And it's during these shifts in infrastructure and in technologies that we see the opportunity for, for people to go in, build good things that interact with real use cases. And in Brazil, we have that slot in time now. So I think it's, again, like the, the job you're doing, like uh, with the podcast and spreading the word on this, I think it's extremely important to make people understand like where we are now in Brazil is an extremely important place in time. It's a, it's a generational opportunity, right? It's very rare. And I would say more than one trillion dollar market might much more rapid, right? It's, it's, it's really a revolutionary technology. And, and indeed resonating with you around the work that you do and Brazilian Jordan, your podcast is, is fantastic to bring this awareness to, to the Brazil market that traditionally we think that we can we can't be in the edge, right? Because we are we are we are not we are not a super uh, developed market, but I would say in a lot of aspects we are in front of a lot of a lot of people. And and we need to, to internalize that and see that we have capacity people capable of deploying, right? Uh, and manpower, brains, and, and a lot of opportunities. Uh, I would say the government, it, it's feeding back this revolution. It's very rare you see uh, a central bank and a, and a Brazilian SEC so well aligned on, on, on something, trying to bring that uh, responsible markets. So it's, it's, it's a great time to be, out, to be in blockchain, a great time to be alive. Yeah, just to wrap it up, like what I find always super interesting when I travel is like, as John said, Many people are not really aware about what's going on in Brazil, but people like Brazil. So once you tell your Brazilian and you start to, to, to tell how things are evolving over there, oh, we're going to have a CBDC. Uh, the biggest bank in Latam like, has a lot of investments in crypto already. The biggest investment bank has even like their, their own uh, exchange. The Brazilian exchange, Brazilian stock exchange has now a spin-off uh, for offering blockchain related services and people just got you know, shocked and confused, but happy, you know, that uh, there is somewhere in the world that things are, you know, uh, going up, going on. So it's it's just exciting. And um, I, I would just like, you know, uh, reinforce what the guys just said, like super important to have also this content talking about Brazil, but in English also for for achieving a, a broader, a broader audience. And uh, yeah, thank thank you very much for having me. Uh, it was, was a pleasure. Amazing. Uh, well, thanks everyone for listening and watching today. See you um, at Eat Denver next year, hopefully.